Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our WNBA Power Rankings 3.0. So Jalen and I have put together our fourth edition of Power Rankings for the WNBA. We're going to break down our list. So Jalen, I'll start with you. Who are the top 12 teams in your WNBA Power Ranking? All right, so we're going to start at the top this time, um, switching things up a little bit this week. So we're going to start with the top. I have the Las Vegas Aces at number one. I have the Seattle Storm at number two, the Connecticut Sun at number three, the Chicago Sky at number four, the Dallas Wings at number five, the Minnesota Lynx at uh, number six. I have the Phoenix Mercury at number seven, Washington Mystics at number eight. I have New York, uh, the Liberty at number nine. I have the Atlanta Dream at number 10. I have the LA Sparks at number 11. I have the Indiana Fever at number 12. So starting from the bottom with my WNBA power rankings, number 12, I have the Indiana Fever. Number 11, I have the Los Angeles Sparks. Number 10, I have the Atlanta Dream. Number nine, I have the Washington Mystics. Number eight, I have the New York Liberty. Number seven, I have the Phoenix Mercury. Number six, I have the Minnesota Lynx. Number five, I have the Dallas Swings. Number four, I have the Chicago Sky. Number three, I have the Connecticut Sun. Number two, I have the Seattle Storm. And number one, the Las Vegas Aces. All right, all right. For everybody at home, the list is looking scary similar. So we are starting to kind of come to a little bit of an understanding of where the WNBA is now, right? We're on our fourth power ranking now. It's about our eighth week or so in terms of covering the 2021 WNBA season. So, Ryan, we're going to start towards the bottom with these bottom three teams. Um, I think it would be really interesting to go through all three of these teams and kind of point out their faults. But rather than doing that, we're going to kind of just take one storyline from each of these three teams, starting with Indiana, and kind of just discuss them from the aspect of just what they've been doing so far this season and any player that you want to watch out for. So let's start with Indiana uh, at the very bottom, 12th. Um, on our power rankings, they are 12th dead last in offensive rating, dead last in defensive rating um, in the WNBA. They are 8th in pace of play. Um, they have a record of 1-15, and, and boy, they are struggling maxed right now. Uh, Ryan, what is one of your biggest takeaways uh, going into this fourth power rankings when it comes to Indiana? Or if you don't have any specific takeaway that's different from something you said before, who's a player that you've been keeping your eye out on for them? Let's not forget to mention a league worst 73.9 points per game, second worst in assists with 17.1 assists per game. They're not a great rebounding team either, 34.5 rebounds a game, which ranks ninth in the league. I mentioned on previous episodes how great Tierra McCowan and Kelsey Mitchell have been for this team. But something I want to point out in terms of some news that happened the past week. The Fever waived Lauren Cox, who was their third overall pick from the 2020 WNBA draft. I believe she only averages about three points a game this season. Actually, sorry, it is 1.4 points a game 
0.3 assists, and two rebounds a game for Lauren Cox this year. Here's the problem, Jalen, I have with this release. Here's how many minutes she averages this season with the Indiana Fever. 8.6. There's something wrong right off the bat, which is they aren't giving their young players a chance. And this is something that we pointed out throughout our power rankings and throughout our looking at the landscape series in the WNBA. Indiana needs to give their young players experience. And this was not a move that should have happened if I were general manager of the Indiana Fever. I think waving somebody like Lauren Cox could backfire because of the potential that she has. I don't think she was able to showcase that potential on the Indiana Fever, considering that she's only getting about nine minutes a game. So I feel like that's really tough for me to support a move like that for a team that really needs young players to thrive. Now, of course, we have Kaiser Godrasek, and she's been she's been kind of dealing with the same issues of a lack of minutes, therefore giving little time to show a lot on the floor. I think that this is a move that's been indicative of the Indiana Fever season thus far, which is they aren't giving young players a chance, therefore it's time to let them go to see if they are better on another team. Um. I don't know. I feel like the the trade talk aspect of it is definitely going out on a little bit of a limb. I will say something that stands out to me when I when when you look at their young players um and their lack of playing time that I think is really important to me in particular. Uh you know I'm not going to talk about Indiana without talking about Kaiser. Kaiser has played in all 16 games so far this season and is only averaging 10.2 minutes played per game. Uh, Chelsea Perry is another one that we were extremely huge on coming out of that, uh, that WBA draft. And she's only played in two games and is averaging 4.5, uh, minutes per game. Why do I think that that's important? The reason why is because, Ron, I'm going to read something off to you. I'm going to read three statistics off to you that I think are extremely important, um, when we talk about the Indiana Fever that I think apply to both Chelsea Perry and Kaiser Godrasek, um, immensely. 11th in the league in assists with 17.1 assists per game. These are two facilitating point guards that play really well on their respective teams coming out of college. Uh, Kaiser was somebody who for West Virginia was relatively known as a three point shooter. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, Chelsea Perry was an all around, all around, uh, ball dominant guard, um, in college. Moving over to the three point shooting, 12th and three point percentage at 26.7% and 11th in the entire league in three-point attempts. I think that Kaiser and Chelsea Perry automatically increase all of those significantly with more playing time. I think that those are two uh, players who actually address a much-needed aspect of the Indiana Fever's game that is not being tapped into. Ryan, I was looking at some of the statistics, right, for some of these players across the board. Kelsey Mitchell is leading the team in three-point attempts by a long shot. She's taking 6.5 three-point attempts per game and is making just under two, uh, just, just making, uh, just under two of them on a regular basis, she's shooting under 30% from three-point land. Victoria Vivians is the next person with the highest three-point clip in terms of attempts at 3.3 attempts per game. So nearly half 
of what Kelsey Mitchell is taking. And mind you, Victoria Vivians is only shooting 25% from three-point land. So with that being the case, I genuinely think that with more burn, I think two of your better three-point shooters in terms of percentage-wise, at least from what was projected from college, Kaiser and Chelsea both provide a need at a at a much desired skill set, not only for this team, but in the WNBA in terms of the fact that the expanded range of the WNBA has been a skill similar to the NBA where the three-point shot is becoming king to a certain point. Now you look at certain teams like the Las Vegas Aces, for example, we'll get back, we'll get to them a little bit later. They're a team that dominates in the paint, uh, similar to the Connecticut Sun, but there's a lot of teams in this league that honest, honestly thrive and, uh, do best being a fast, being a fast paced three point shooting team. Like I mentioned earlier, this team is eighth. So bottom four in the entire league in pace played. So they're a slow basketball team that also doesn't shoot threes at a high clip. And they honestly don't have a crazy post presence down low because Tierra McCowan is not the kind of physical presence that you would want her to be down low. And I would argue that their best forward on the roster at this point is probably Jessica Breland. I think that's probably the safest thing to go with outside of the fact that I think that if Chelsea Perry gets more burn, I think that she could probably uh fill that role to a certain extent but jessica breland averages 7.4 uh points per game and 7.3 rebounds per game she's arguably their best big on the floor right now and she's not one of these dominating inside presence like a tina charles or a john quell jones for this team so how can you be a guard oriented team that plays slow and doesn't shoot the three that's like being the the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies once upon a time, but asking Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph back then shoot jumpers from deep. You, you just weren't going to do it. And I think that that's a similar circumstance in this one. I don't think that they're playing to their strength. They're a guard heavy team and they play too slow and they honestly kind of lack at the one skill set that really kind of makes teams uh formidable in this league and that's three-point shooting and i think that's really been hurting them so i think kaiser and chelsea can really help in that department and i think when we're talking about great three-point shooting teams they have the potential to become a great three-point shooting team it's just coming down to the fact that indiana is not utilizing their young players and this is something that we parked on for the past eight weeks of the WNBA season and I feel like we're only going to continue to harp on this point unless Indiana does something about it. And I feel like they aren't doing anything about it. Therefore, their record is going to continue to hinder them and their losses are going to continue to pile up if nothing changes. And considering that they, they have a pretty tough schedule coming up, the Indiana Fever play, they play the Connecticut Sun twice with John Paul Jones back. So that's going to be a very tough matchup to see in the future. But Jalen, let's talk about the Los Angeles Sparks, another team that you brought up in the bottom of the in the bottom of the power rankings here. We mm-hmm. both have them at eleven, and it seems like nothing has really changed with how we feel about the Los Angeles Sparks. They're still waiting for the Ogwamike sisters to come back. However, they picked up a nice win over the Washington Mystics. So what's your overall feeling on the Los Angeles Sparks right now? 
I think there's two things that I really take into consideration. I think the first thing is that Taya Cooper is really taking advantage of the minutes that she's been given due to the fact that the Agumake sisters are both missing time, and that's leading her to being one of the lead guards next to Erica Wheeler, who is basically their best player right now. Um, outside of uh, Nineka, who uh, we can argue should have made the U.S. national team, but we'll talk about that probably at a <laughs> a different podcast, probably on the looking around the landscape aspects. That was somebody who was definitely, I would have advocated to make that team. No offense to anybody who did make that team. That's the difficult thing about looking at some of these lists is who would you take off? But Erica Wheeler is pretty much their second best player in terms of scoring, averaging 13.1 points per game, 4.3 assists per game, which actually leads the team right now. Um, 84% from the line, 42% from two, um, 33% from three and 40% overall from the field. I think that she's been extremely huge. Um, she's honestly taken more shots than anybody on the floor. And that includes Nineke when she was on the floor for the five games that she played. I think Amanda Zowie B is starting to finally come into her own a little bit. She's Kind of showing that versatility with the fact that she is stepping out to the three-point line. She actually leads the team in three-point attempts with 5.1 a game, which is pretty insane. Talking about the fact that this is uh that that that, we're, that she's basically stepping into that stretch four, stretch five role that me and you were discussing earlier in the season. Talking about her transition as a developing player coming from New York. Um, but Amanda's averaging 11.7 points per game and 5.8 rebounds per game. I think that that's something that's really stood out to me as well. So I think the combination of those three, Wheeler, Zowie B, and Taya Cooper all stepping up in their own rights has been something that's been pretty huge in the meantime. Granted, I don't think that it's going to do a ton in the standings just because I think that when you lose the Agumake sisters, you're losing a significant offensive and defensive punch. Um, you also look at the fact that outside of Amanda Zowie B, those two far and away are the team's best rebounders. Uh, Brittany Sykes would probably be the only other player in the mix for that. And um, that's not saying a ton when you talk about the fact that if you look between Amanda Zowie B and Brittany Sykes, there's not a ton of out offensive output there between the two of them down low so I think Naneka and Chine's uh ability to be two-way players and kind of pop off at any moment while also being players that can you know really be put on the other team's best forwards are things to be taken into consideration in terms of their ability to make the playoffs moving forward but I would say those three players are the are the ones to keep an eye out on for Los Angeles because they are competing still. I know we have them at 11th, but they are a strong bunch that is definitely playing and competing in all of these games, despite the fact that they're missing two of their best players. And this was a team that we talked about with a lot of other teams who are who are in this group hovering around the 500 mark. All of them had the potential to make the playoffs. But just specifically talking about the Los Angeles Sparks for a second, this team desperately needs Nanike and Shine Aguamike back. This team is the worst rebounding team in the WNBA. They're also second to last in points per game. But the one thing that I found interesting watching the Mystics game was that for a team that was not that great in terms of scoring, they had no problem shooting the ball against the Mystics. <laughs> they were they were shooting the lights out against the Mystics. But I think that's going to have to be a thing going forward where if you're a low-scoring offense – how consistent is this going to be considering that this team 
like we said, no no Nenike, no Chine Aguamike. Amanda Salibi and Tia, Tia Cooper and Erica Wheeler have pretty much the the scoring load to carry on their backs with the Oguamike sisters being out. How do you sort of make up for that? Who else kind of has to step up? I feel like Christy Tolliver is somebody that you could point to as another player that could possibly step up for this team. Brittany Sykes is someone else that you mentioned, another player that could possibly step up for this team. But I think with this with this low-scoring offense, like I mentioned, how consistent are you going to be in terms of shooting the ball? And mm-hmm. how much do you have to rely on the three players that you mentioned, Zowie B, Wheeler, and Cooper? And I think that's going to be the big thing going forward. Yeah, and I mean, they're a top-five team in terms of three-point attempts. So like you said, they're not scared to hoist it up. Zowie B is leading them by a long shot in terms of three-point attempts. So if your center is feeling frisky in terms of stepping out there beyond the arc and letting it fly, I think the rest of the team should feel relatively comfortable, especially when you have a player like Erica Wheeler shooting from deep as well, somebody that I feel like is relatively reliable from back there. And Taya Cooper has been somebody whose driving ability has been huge for them um in this time without the Agumike sisters so I think that that's something for Sparks fans to look forward to when it comes to the development of those three uh I think Cooper in particular out of the fact that she's one of those players that I think is a dynamo guard for them that with a little bit more time could become one of their lead point guards down the line um despite the fact that she's been a a more of an off the bench punch for them um let's talk about Atlanta for a little bit though man um the last time we talked about Atlanta, Kennedy Carter was out due to injury. And uh, you remember there was that whole mix up where I was discussing the three guard lineup and didn't realize that we were missing one of the three Musketeers. Well, Kennedy Carter is back and um, this team has played relatively well in the last five games. They split with New York, uh, lost to Minnesota, lost to Washington, but also but they but they split with Washington, had one of those games be a relatively dominating win, 101 to 78. Um what exactly have you seen from Atlanta with Kennedy Carter back? Because I feel like she's kind of come back in relatively slow, but at the same time, I think her presence is being felt in a way that's making this team uh, kind of catch their stride back a little bit as they look to try to push themselves back to being a 500 ball club. They're six and nine right now, but I think they're on their way. I think offensively, she makes this team better. And when you think about, Already, the fact that they're fourth best in terms of scoring with 83.9 points per game, it really just boosts the credibility of this Atlanta Dream offense, especially when you have somebody like Courtney Williams playing as good as she's been playing. 17.5 points per game is what she's averaging, 6.9 rebounds a game, 3.8 assists a game, 1.5 steals a game. So when you have Courtney Williams as an offensive spark and then you're trying to ease Candy Carter back into the offense, I think that's great, especially for the future, especially when we were talking in the last in the last week's episode about that three guard lineup potentially including Kennedy Carter into that mix. Mm-hmm. However, just when we think the defense has been their problem, they also have encountered another problem. Another couple of injuries. Tiffany Hayes is going to be out for a month. Isaac Sims and Cheyenne Parker left their game with injuries. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance that Isaac Sims and Cheyenne Parker and Tiffany Hayes are all going to be out for a very long time. So how do you sort of fill the role of three great players on this team? Tiffany Hayes, let's keep in mind, she was not available last year in the in the WNBA Wubble. And she's back this year almost with a vengeance, and she's playing 
very well for this team. Odyssey Sims has been a pretty good addition. And then Cheyenne Parker as well. She's been another great scorer for this team. How do you feel the role of those three players? Also not to mention that even though they lead the WNBA in steals with almost 10 a game, their opponents are shooting nearly 47% against them. And they're giving up a league-high 88.3 points per game. Not to mention that the New York Liberty put 101 points up against the Atlanta Dream in their matchup. So, again, it's it's very tough. Like I mentioned, I want to have hope for this team that they're able to pull, that they're able to turn it around. But like I mentioned with the looking at the landscape, their defense has to get better. And now you couple that with the injuries with Tiffany Hayes, Cheyenne Parker, and Odyssey Sims, things aren't looking good for the Atlanta Dream right now. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that the one of the bigger hits when you look at when you look at their overall lineup, right, and you look at their circumstances, I think that the the dropping of Tiffany Hayes and Odyssey Sims is huge because of the fact that now that's going to cause them to lean more on Crystal Bradford and Ari McDonald. I think this is finally our chance to see Ari in that three guard lineup next to Courtney Williams and Kennedy Carter, which I think could be huge. I think that that's really a serious debate. I do think that there's a chance that they go with Crystal a little bit more often. Um, but at the same time, I think that Ari has the kind of upside, um, as a, as a, uh, secondary or, th- or tertiary guard in that lineup, where if they want to maintain that small ball lineup with three guards, they can really roll that out with McDonald or Crystal Bradford, Bradford and kind of keep things steady. I think the other thing is too, you talk about the loss of Cheyenne Parker. I think that's going to make Monique Billings, uh, play on the floor that much more important. She's a player who already is arguably their best big as it is, despite what the points might tell you. Yes, Cheyenne Parker is averaging 9.8 points to Billings 5.6, but Billings is leading the rebounding department by a long shot outside of Courtney Williams with 6.6. Monique Billings is right there behind her with 6.3. Cheyenne Parker is at 3.9. And guess what? This team is second to last in total rebounds per game. But if you take a look at their circumstances as well, they're a team that is also leading the charge in offensive rebounding per game. And that has a lot to do with Courtney Williams and Monique Billings, who's averaging almost three offensive rebounds a game, as opposed to Cheyenne Parker, who's averaging just under one offensive rebound a game. So in terms of overall impact, Monique Billings is going to get a much larger role in this lineup as one of their primary bigs, which I could argue might actually be to their benefit i mean she's pretty much leading the charge in shots blocked she um like i said beforehand she's probably the more active big on the on the on the glass and then in terms of overall presence i think that there's that aspect aspect that monique billings gives them a little bit of a bigger presence in that area, despite the fact that they're both six four i think that genuinely monique billings plays a little bit bigger um overall and i think that that's going to help them down low because this is a team that is not too crazy in the three-point shooting department if you look at that they're in the bottom portion of three-point shooting in terms of attempts in terms of three-point percentage they're literally ninth i mean in like i said in terms of attempts they're uh they're they put up 20.7 a game a seventh in the league so they're not a high frequency three-point shooting team but guess what they lead the league in field goals attempt <laughs> They are top two in two points attempt. That means that they're playing a lot in the paint. And that means players like Courtney Williams, somebody who who 
operates a lot in the mid-range area. Somebody like Kennedy Carter, who plays really well in open space. Somebody like Monique Billings, who they're going to rely on on the low block. They're going to be able to play to their strengths even more, or they're going to need to play to their strengths even more if this team is going to be successful. And I think now when we're talking about the fact that there is a possibility that Ari McDonald is going to be incorporated into this lineup, now it kind of gives... Atlanta the possibility to really try and test this three-guard lineup of Kennedy Carter, Courtney Williams, and Ari McDonald, especially with Odyssey Sims being out, especially with Cheyenne Parker out. Now I feel like Elizabeth Williams really has to take that role and be the star in the front court for this team. It's just a matter now, like I said, how can Atlanta fill the role of these three players? Because these are three vital players on this team, and especially when you're six and nine hovering around that 500 mark like you said earlier this is not the time that you want to lose three very good players on your team I think it'll be interesting to see what the dream do going forward trying to fill the role of those three those three players mm-hmm. but let's talk about the Washington Mystics we had a lot of hopes for them last week because we saw a lot of positive things they got a couple of wins Tina Charles was playing some great basketball now it looks like it's the opposite. We don't know when Elena Deladon is going to return. Natasha Cloud's out with an injury. Maisha Hines-Allen's out with an injury. Erica McCall is out with an injury. So the Mystics are really struggling right now. But this is another team hovering around that 500 mark, even without Elena Deladon. So, Jalen, what is your feeling on the Washington Mystics right now? I mean, I feel pretty decent about Washington to the most part. For the most part, at the end of the day, Tina Charles is playing at a really high level. One one underrated move that we need to keep an eye out on is that they had to go uh, kind of waiver wire wise uh, earlier this. Uh, I think it was earlier this week or late last week where they actually had to waive Kiara Les- Leslie, uh, Stella Johnson and Mega Gustafsson due to the fact that they needed to leave roster construction availability. And those were three contracts that they could not keep guaranteed um and that's something that i guess is going to leave flexibility for them to maybe get better down the line in terms of talking about making a legit playoff push uh later on in the season so you talk about those players that they're supposed to get back from injury or from playing overseas combine that with the fact that they made a move or kind of had to let players go with the expectation of leaving room cap wise to maybe make an adjustment or make an addition or even a potential trade that could lead to them improving alongside with those players coming back or maybe in the midst of them not coming back, depending on what the circumstances are with Elena Deladon specifically and her injury. So I think that that combination of stuff is to look is something worth looking forward to when you talk about what they've been able to do on the floor so far this year. Um, the top half of the league in points per game, sixth in the league with 81.7 points per game. Um, I think one of the biggest things that really they can rely on is that they're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the league. They're one of the second best second chance opportunity teams in the league with 9.1 offensive rebounds per game. I think one of the other things that's really interesting that I still kind of have my trepidations about, but I'm not going to argue with too much, is the fact that they lead the league in three point attempts. Now, this is freaking bonkers to me. I have no idea where this came from, but Ariel Atkins is shooting 6.13s per game. Tina Charles is hosting up 5.5 of her own, and Lelani Mitchell is throwing up about 5.4 of her own on top of that. So if this wants to be a three-point shooting team, look, man, 
I thought that there was one of those things where they need to play through their bigs and shoot. Maisha Hines Allen is back and Tina Charles is playing at a relatively high level as well. Those two are hooping and they're both combining for about five offensive rebounds a game just between the two of them. So if they're both going to do that, shoot 40% plus from two point land and shoot at least above 30% from three, shoot Tina Charles is shooting almost 40% despite the fact that she's like second on the team in three point attempts and Ariel Atkins is shooting a high clip. She leads the team and three-point attempts is a shooting 40.8% from three-point land. So with that being the case, I mean, hey, they're playing through their bigs. They're just playing it in a very unconventional style. It's not that down low uh, beneath the basket style that you would expect in terms of putting your bigs, playing through your bigs. But, shoot, it's working for them. And um, I think that, you know, like I said, with the roster flexibility that they tried to, that they're trying to open up along with the fact that they have two players that could come in and make an immediate impact if they come in and play to the, to the caliber that we're used to seeing them at, um, with Misa Min and Aleda Deladon. I mean, again, we keep saying this every week, but as we get closer to the potential, uh, arrival of these two on this squad if the mystics can just stand pat if the mystics can just keep the ship afloat and right now they're seven and nine that's not terrible considering where they started the season at if they can keep this ship the ship afloat and keep themselves within a game or two around 500 if they get fully right i mean they could arguably be one of the big sleeper teams when we get to those final that final month or two stretch before the playoffs Tina Charles has been a huge part of that success, 25.4 points per game, 9.6 rebounds a game. I think when you talk about the consistency of this team, it starts with Tina Charles and her MVP play so far in this season. But I think when we're looking at this team, it really doesn't help that in their last game against the Connecticut Sun, Jalen, the Mystics only played six players. And you could see the potential with this roster with Tina Charles, like I said, 26 points in the loss to the Connecticut Sun. Teresa Placentis put up 10-7. and seven. Ariel Atkins with 19-5. and five. There is the potential there that they can hold the fort down with with Elena Deladon and Misaman, hopefully coming back soon. But I think it's going to be very tough considering that they played the Connecticut Sun already. They have to play the New York Liberty next. So you're facing two very tough teams right now. I just think it's going to be very tough. And now when you when you factor in the fact that these injuries are really taking into effect with Maisha Hines Allen out and then Natasha Cloud out as well. Who's another player that's going to step up for them? Because we saw Ariel Atkins, she could be consistent. Lalani Mitchell, before the game against Connecticut, she had three pretty good games. She put up 19, 26, and 14 before putting up nine points in the Connecticut game. So I just think it's going to be very interesting going forward to see what happens. I just... I'm not really sure how long they can hold down the fort without Elena Deladon and Emma Mieseman. But now, I think it's just going to be really interesting. Like I mentioned going forward, I'm pretty convinced that this team still has the potential to make the playoffs, possibly the championship, if they can get a fully healthy roster. But that's the thing. They need a fully healthy roster. And then I just saw one hour ago, the Mystics signed Gustafsson and Walker Kimbrough's seven-day contracts. This is according to SB Nation. Getting that extra death will be helpful for the stretch of games before the All-Star break. So I think it's really just going to be about how 
how durable will this team become throughout this long stretch until Elena Deladon and Amisaman come back? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing, too. Um, the Gustafsson break back, I think, is huge. But again, the seven-day contract aspect of it is they're kind of teetering them along in order to keep that roster construction availability open. Um, so we'll have to kind of keep track of that and see what they decide to do with it. This idea of waiving and keeping guy, keeping uh, players on short-term contracts are one of those things that's going to be really interesting as we move along because waiving players has been one of the big things in the WNBA so far this season. And we've seen it take a lot of hits to a, top, a lot of top-level players and things of that nature. So we'll have to really keep an eye on that. But I think one of the bigger things to keep an eye on when we talk about that, let's transition over to New York for a second. Let's talk about the fact that New York actually most recently talking about cutting players had to cut Kia Stokes, center, uh, center for New York, uh, that averaged 1.7 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game. When I saw this news, man, I thought it's Natasha Howard coming back sometime soon, but I keep checking the, the scouting reports and it sounds like she's still going to be out due to injury. Um, this team is 10th in, um, in opponents points per game, eighth overall in the league in points scored at 80 points per game. They're the second fastest team in the league in terms of pace per, per uh pace a uh, pace of play they have a record of 8 and 9 right now as they just split uh a two game series with Atlanta came off of two back to back losses to Chicago hey man look we were gassing this team to start the season off and lord we had them in our top four to start the year off, and now they're in our bottom four. You have them in the bottom five. I have them in. I have uh, New York at eight. You have them at seven. Where are we at with New York, man? Because it's so depressing to know that they've there's this significant fall of fall from grace, and it has a lot to do with the fact. I mean, at least we have to point the finger at Sabrina Ionescu is just not healthy, right? I mean, that's got to be what it is. I think it's just more than that. When you're talking about two of your best players out with injuries, one player coming back in Sabrina Ionescu still kind of dealing with that left ankle tendonitis, that is obviously affecting her. And you could tell she's a phenomenal basketball player. I don't want to stress this anymore. She is a phenomenal basketball player. Her court vision is amazing. Her passing ability is stellar. But again, when you're, when you're great in isolation, and you're coming back from a an injury like an ankle tendonitis. She hasn't been the same player overall. You could tell right off the bat, like I mentioned, that ankle is bothering her. So I'm not really sure how long until she may have to sit out again for another injury to heal the ankle. But this is something that has been bothering her ever since last season. If you remember, it was an ankle injury that took her out of the season last year. And now it's an ankle injury this year that's bothering her. So I feel like losing a player like Sabrina while still trying to get a player back in Natasha Howard is still very tough. And then you cut Kia Stokes as well. This is a very tough situation that New York has found themselves in. And I think I said this two weeks ago, they're really starting to hit adversity right now. And then now this is like their chance to really overcome it. I obviously want to bring up Banaja Laney, who's been incredible this season. 19.4 points a game, 4.2 rebounds, dropped 28 points in the win against Atlanta. I think that was important considering that New York broke a two-game losing streak with that win. So New York needed that win not only to keep themselves afloat, 
around the 500 mark, but also to give themselves a chance when Natasha Howard gets back and when Sabrina is fully healthy. But, I mean, when you're thinking about other players that need to step up, Sammy Wickham's been pretty good recently. 30 points in that victory against the Atlanta Dream, like I mentioned, with uh, Banaja Laney and her great game against the Dream. She had seven three-pointers in that in that game, adding six rebounds, five assists, three steals. When you're trying to when you're trying to battle all these in- injuries, when you're trying to overcome this adversity, and you're turning the ball over a league high 17.6 times a game, this is the type of stuff that championship caliber teams are able to overcome. And I think this is the chance for New York to show us that they can overcome the injuries, the high turnover rate, and the losses. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, right? I think the biggest things that stand out to me overall is I'm going to go through and kind of name four stats in particular that I think really stand out. The first two are related to Sabrina. Um, or actually, there's there, the first two are related to Sabrina and Lainey. The first one when it comes to Sabrina is the fact that she is... Man, it's so tough when you look at her circumstances. She's playing to her level, but the stat that stands out to me the most when it comes to her is the fact that she's shooting 28.6% from two. Um, she's doing relatively well from the three point line, but she's shooting 5.13 threes per game as a point to, as opposed to her three, to her two point attempts are 3.7. So she's struggling from two and settling for threes. I think that's one of the biggest thing that in, biggest things that indicates how much the injury is bugging her. I think the other thing that stands out to me is that this team needs Benajelani to have 20 points or higher in order for them to be competitive. That's been a number that's been relatively fluid, relatively uh, consistent in our conversations about New York in terms of if Laney drops 20 plus, they either were competitive in that game or they won the game. The games where she's held to anything below 20, they struggle significantly. The other two stats that stand out to me the most are, like you mentioned beforehand, league worst in terms of turnovers per game. That's that that's a tough one right there. This is a team that turns the ball over at a high clip. Their two lead guards and Laney and Ionescu combined for seven turnovers a game just by themselves. That's nearly about half the team's turnovers just between those two players. And they're both high usage players. And then the other thing that obviously pokes out more than anything to me is the fact that they're the worst offensive rebounding team in the league, which doesn't look any better when somehow, despite being the second fastest team in terms of pace of play, you're the you're the second worst team in the WNBA in field goal attempts. So that means despite the fact that you're playing so fast, the fact that you're struggling in the offensive rebounding department is making it where you're losing out on second chance opportunities and you're in a situation where you're losing the ball at a high clip. So as fast as you're playing, you're also giving the other team a chance to compete just as quickly and be just as active on the glass and just as active in transition as you are, while also having the kind of personnel to offensive rebound, crash the glass and give themselves second chance opportunities, stuff that this team isn't doing. They literally do not have a single player on this team outside of Natasha Howard, who has barely played for this team 
who averages at least one offensive rebound. There's a lot of point nines across this roster, but nobody that even averages a full offensive rebound on this roster outside of Natasha Howard. So I think the loss of Kia Stokes, I think, is pretty huge. I think that this makes it where Natasha Howard's presence is going to be needed even more. And it's crazy because she's only played two games for this roster, and somehow she's automatically, she's because of their circumstances, especially with Sabrina, falling into more of a facilitating role they need somebody natasha howard who's going to be coming off of injury into a new roster into a new uh, into a new system granted again of course she produced relatively well in her first two games averaged 14 i think about 14.5 um points per game and six and a half boards but now you're asking her to be the turning point for this liberty team and that's not the kind of circumstances you came into this year when you looked at this squad. Laney was coming off of being the most improved player and has been their best player so far this season. Sabrina was coming off of injury and was arguably leading the race and comeback player of the year when we first got through that first week or two of the WBA season. And Natasha Howard was supposed to be kind of like the icing on top. And now this team is starting to look a little bit broken and they're starting to have to lean on players like Michaela Onyemware and Sammy, Sammy Wickham, even Kylie Shook to a certain extent to kind of pick up the slack on the perimeter because of the fact that their guards are having to take on so much. And a player, for example, like Sabrina just kind of can't muster that up right now because she needs to be the best player on this on the floor for this team to be successful right now. And unfortunately, she's just not playing like that. And I think it's just really indicative of the fact that this team is struggling and they're struggling big time right now, especially because we could factor in multiple factors because we could say the injuries are the reason why this team is struggling. The high turnover rate, another reason why this team's struggling. The lack of field goal attempts, I think, is another reason why this team is struggling. So I think that it's going to be tough for this team to overcome all of it. But like I said earlier, championship caliber teams are used to this. When you're a championship caliber team like the New York Liberty were in the preseason, there's a chance that they could be able to overcome this adversity. Speaking of getting players back, because we mentioned with Sabrina that she's back now. Let's talk about Diana Taurasi being back for the Phoenix Mercury, because this is a huge, huge news for the Phoenix Mercury. And she returned recently and became the first player to score 9,000 points in WNBA history, which is a huge accomplishment. So congratulations to Diana Taurasi, one of the greatest WNBA basketball players of all time. Now that she's back, Jalen, what is her effect on this team? How how important is Diana Taurasi to this team? I mean, she's the table setter, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, there's two players that really kind of set the uh, set the table for this team is Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins Smith. If you look at the way they operate, this is a slow paced team, one of the slowest uh, paced teams in the WNBA. But they lead through their bigs and their guards play strong. Uh, just those two uh, alone combined for about. I think 9.4 to 9.5 assists per game between the two of them. That's a lot of facilitation and a lot of creation between the two of them. I think they also combine for just a hair, uh, a hair over 35, if not about 35 points per game between just the two of them. Then you look at the inside, you look at Brittany Griner and Brianna Turner inside. They both combine for about 
Yeah, I'd say about 18, 19 rebounds per game, about 27 to 28 points per game between the two of them with Brittany Griner doing a lot of the dirty work in terms of her average and I think about 20 points per game. They're a team that has high, has a, uh, has a high block rate between, uh, Griner and Turner. Tarasi is just the one who sets the table. She creates the ore for this team. They have a lot of, they have a lot of grit and grind grizzlies to them, to me, in terms of their overall physical play style. Uh, the fact that they lead the league in blocks, the fact that they play so hard as a team, the fact that they lead the league in free throw attempts, I think is another indication of how physical a team they are. Um, despite the fact that they're not a crazy offensive or defensive rebounding team, I think, I mean, they're top three in defensive rebounding, but they're, um, in the bottom five. Um, in terms of offensive rebounding. So about a mixed bag in that department. Um, they're just a slow, methodical team, and that leads on a player like Donnie Tarasi, who if you're a team that plays in a half-court set or relies on half-court basketball, you have to have an intelligent, you know, an intelligent facilitating point guard. I've, I just realized what I'm saying, and we're talking about the Phoenix Mercury, and it makes me think so much about Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns and their circumstances right now, which is so interesting because he's another player who plays at a similar clip as one of their better guards, but also is part of the reason why they play at such a slow pace, that half-court setup, that pin-down action, all of the things that are created by the offensive, uh, the offensive perimeter guys uh or gals in this case is all set up by intelligent point guard play and that has to do a lot they have to give a lot of credit to a player like diana tarasi when talking about that so i think her return along with the fact that they've gotten so much across the line from smith uh digging smith griner turner kia nurse has played relatively well as well um, I think that just the combination of their starting lineup playing at such a high clip, you bring a player like Diana Taurasi back in the mix of that, man, you are you are getting an elite caliber player that really sets the table and is arguably, you know, an all-star caliber player every single year. I think when we talk about players like Diana Taurasi, she's really the glue that holds this Phoenix Mercury together. Now, keep mm-hmm. in mind, this team has been pretty consistent without her. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games sorry, four and six in their last 10 games, and they have a chance to really turn the tide. They're another one of these teams that's hovering around that 500 mark. But when you talk about the consistency of this Phoenix Mercury team, a fully healthy Mercury team is a title-contending team. Mm -hmm. Now that you get Diana Taurasi back, she's proving that she's capable of running this offense and she's capable of holding this team together. Just keep in mind, her return, she had 25 points on 6 of 11 shooting, 50% from 3. I think that's huge when you think about that. And then when you add 22 points for Brittany Griner. Look, if we're if we're talking about how, how great this Phoenix Mercury team can become, they have the potential to win the championship. Now, they struggled in their loss to the Minnesota Lynx. They really weren't able to get a lot going offensively. They had 25 first quarter points. But that was the most quarter points that they scored. They didn't score 20 points in a quarter for the rest of the game. So I think when, you, when you're when you put in that scenario, that's where you have to be consistent through all four quarters and score on a consistent level. Now, of course, we get we talk about the big three of Brittany Griner, Skylar Dickens-Smith, and Diana Taurasi being fully healthy. I think something that really impressed me was Skylar Dickens-Smith not only taking charge – but also being the lead ball ball handler, being able to be a leader on the floor. I think that was really impressive to see that 
she really is capable of being a leader on the floor. And I think that's really important to see, especially when you need somebody to step up outside of uh, Diana Taurasi. But I think that with their loss to the Minnesota Lynx, they have a chance to split the series with the Minnesota Lynx. This Saturday, they play the Minnesota Lynx again in Phoenix. So I think this is a huge get-back game for them. I think Britton Griner could have a huge game down low, but I think it's really going to come down to the consistency of this team and just being able to be consistent scoring-wise all four quarters. I mean, shoot, you want to talk about a team that plays strong down low, we might as well go ahead and move down to the Minnesota Lynx where, I mean, Nafisa Collier has been a problem since getting back on the floor. You combine her uh, output with Sylvia Fowles down low, they're both giving you about 17 points per game. They're giving you a combination of about 16 to 17 rebounds per game, both averaging at least about a block and a half per game. Man, how do we feel about Minnesota with the fact that ever since they picked up, I mean, they've, they've been in a situation where they've struggled with having at least one of their big three on the floor. Nafisa Collier was out for a little while. Ariel Powers was available. Now Ariel Powers is out. They picked up Laser Clarendon um, for a short period of time um, earlier in the season, and she has played relatively well, 9.1 points per game, 4.9 assists per game. Crystal Dangerfield hasn't really played relatively well coming off of last season but I would say that that has to do with a lot of the fact that they're just playing through their 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 front court a lot more right now I think you could also argue that it has a lot to do with the fact that Kayla McBride has really kind of taken the reins at the guard position for them right now um as their lead guard uh scoring wise but how do we feel about Minnesota so far this is a team we were a little bit I started out the season being extremely high on they kind of hit us with a gut punch early due to injuries which is one of those things that's extremely understandable they're starting to slowly get healthy and slowly get their roster kind of like you know making sense in terms of having chemistry on the court and now they're sitting at a situation where they are currently eight and seven above 500 as the fifth highest scoring team in the WNBA I mean, when you talk about heavily relying on players like Sylvia Fowles and Nafisa Collier, Jalen, this team averages 36.1 points per game in the paint. And if you talk about how effective that's been for them, Sylvia Fowles averaging 17.4 points per game, 9.9 rebounds, and she's shooting 63.5% from the field. She does not look hurt at all. (laughs) And if you talk about her effect in the – Las Vegas game, she put up 30 and 14, and she has been one of the most dominant post players in the WNBA this season, which I think is huge for a team like Minnesota to have Sylvia Fowles back for them. But again, I think, like you mentioned, the backcourt has been the problem for them this season so far. And if we look at it, Ariel Powers, like you mentioned, is hurt. And then Crystal Dangerfield, she has, she hasn't looked the same since last year. So I do think the backcourt has room for improvement, especially with players like Kayla McBride and Crystal Dangerfield. Ariel Powers is going to be out, so we're, we're just kind of waiting on the timetable for when she'll be back. But I think this backcourt really has room for improvement considering you picked up Leisha Corendon. I think that was a huge addition to this team. Leisha's a very solid scorer, and she was able to really carry the scoring load while Sabrina was out with that injury last year in the Wubble. So... I think really just giving Clarendon the keys to his offense 
and then just giving time for Dangerfield and McBride to improve, I think those are going to be the keys for for Minnesota to to regain a successful backcourt. But their frontcourt, no issues with that. Yeah, and I mean, I I would argue that Kayla McBride has played relatively well. I don't know if she's relatively played at like an all-star caliber level or anything like that. I would definitely argue that she doesn't. She maybe she doesn't look like how her first uh maybe she doesn't look how like how her first two years at Las Vegas was where she was this all-star caliber player. But if you go back and look at her, you know, her track record, thirteen point three points per game. That's how much she averaged when she made the all-star team in twenty nineteen. So I would argue that she's still in a circumstance where she's playing relatively well. She's playing with two bigs that are just extremely dominant on the court. If you need to know any further than the stats, you already read off about the dominance inside. How about we talk about the fact that this team is second in two-point field goal percentage at nearly 50%, 49.6% from two-point range. So I think they're just in a circumstance where they're just trying to get – she's just trying to get used to playing next to a dominant – to two dominant bigs. I mean, they're in a certain situation where I think that when you have to kind of fall in line with two players of the talent of Collier and Fowles. You mix that with the fact that Laser Clarendon is kind of trying to acclimate herself. Ariel Powers is somebody who I think will be huge when she comes back, especially because I think what will happen is if you really sit here and look at the roster throughout, I think what they really need to happen is to have a starting uh, starting uh, five where you have Crystal Dangerfield and Savory, uh, Crystal Dangerfield and Kayla McBride starting with Ariel Powers at the three, Nafisa to Collier and uh, Sylvia Fowles rounding out that starting five, and then you have arguably one of the best six six woman guards coming off your coming off your bench if you have a player like laser clarendon coming off the bench pair that with demarius dantes um at the forward position and now you have a top seven that is crazy dangerous and i still think i'm gonna keep saying it i still think the wild card in all this is if renaya davis gets healthy i think if renaya if renaya gets healthy and can contribute down the stretch this team will legitimately go eight deep with a very strong starting five and you'll have two players in dantis and clarendon coming off your bench leading offensively i think that is huge and even if you want to switch it where laser clarendon starts instead of crystal dangerfield now you have this offensive spark at off off the bench from the guard position in uh dangerfield who is a player who is not scared to shoot the three shoots 38 percent from three on nearly three attempts per game and is a player who plays with a lot of tenacity so i think regardless in your guard rotation if you can just get aerial powers healthy you can kind of finagle this rotation around a little bit, and then next thing you know, you're seven or eight deep roster-wise, and they look like the team that I thought they were coming into the year when fully, fully healthy. So I wouldn't sleep on their backcourt just yet, um, but at the same time, it is going to take a little bit of getting healthy first before we can kind of see them really maximize the kind of talent that I saw them coming in with to enter the season. I do have slight concern for this backcourt. Like I mentioned, I do think that there is room for improvement. But I think for now, we're just kind of waiting on that. I know Kayla McBride, she's been a pretty consistent scorer throughout her entire year. Last year, she actually put up her league worst, or her her career worst in points per game with 12.5. And she's averaging just over 13 now. So she is, she's kind of readjusting to a role. 
for the Minnesota Lynx, considering that this offense really just relies on Sylvia Fowles and Nafisa Collier. And like you mentioned with Vernia Davis, I think we're pretty much just waiting for her to come back because she may be the, the true X factor in all of this. So I think that will be very interesting to watch. When we talk about backcourts, I want to talk about our next team real quick. The Dallas Wings, Jalen. I don't know how many times I need to say this, but I have put my stock into the Dallas Wings, and I am completely sold right now on the Dallas Wings. Jalen, I guess talk about how great they've been so far this season. I know they have a 500 record right now, but the potential of this team is really showing. We're just two guys that are really noticing it right now. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, you want to talk about three-headed monsters, man. First of all, we got to talk about Arike Gubawale, who's literally in the top five right now and scoring across the entire WNBA. I think that's huge. He's sitting at 20.4 points per game right now. And that's been one of the biggest things for them in the backcourt, along with the fact that Marina Mabry is, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Agumba Wale said it earlier this season, talking about if Marina Mabry is not your, uh, not your, uh, most improved player of the year, that you got it wrong. And, hey, man, Shorty right now is shooting 34.9% from three on 6.2 assists, uh, three, 6.2 attempts per game, shooting 50% from two, two point land, 88% from free throws, uh, from the free throw strike, averaging 14.1 points, 4.8 rebounds. I mean, they've been huge. Um, you throw that on top of the fact that uh, I can't harp on it enough, man. My girl Satu Sabali has come back from overseas play and has been playing really well. 12.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds uh, per game. I think she actually got voted onto the All-Star team uh, this year, too. So shout out to her for that. She's been super huge in these 11 games that she has been on the floor for the Dallas Wings. I mean, look, bro, this is a team that's just playing at a really high level. They're number four, I think, in scoring. Um, they think they're either number four or number three in scoring points per game. They're fourth, I think, in offensive rating this year. So there's just a team that loves to run and gun, despite the fact that they're in the bottom third or the bottom third or the bottom fourth in pace per play. They're a team that loves to get up shots. They're a team that loves to go ahead and, you know, put the ball in the basket and play offensive basketball. And I think it just shows by how balanced they are. They're third and three-point attempts, fifth and two-point attempts. They're uh they're, they're top half of the league in terms of free-throw attempts, and they're top three in free-throw percentage. Like, Dallas is just an offensive-oriented team, and they have a handful of players that you can lean on to do that, whether it's Agumba Wale, Mabry, Sabali. Alicia Gray is another player who's been playing huge since coming back from that three-on-three tournament overseas. Shout-out to them for repping the land one time. Isabel, uh, Isabel Harrison, I'm going to keep harping on the fact that she's been this team's best big. I keep saying it. Charlie Collier and Owakuyer have not really played so far this season. It's because this girl, Isabel Harrison, is locking things up down low, along with the fact that Satu is covering that four spot, like I said she would when she came back. So I think that the big thing with this Dallas team is that they are an offensive basketball team that competes on the other end of the floor. And if you have a high-octane a high offense with a relatively decent defense, if not middle of the pack defense, I think you're in a circumstance where you really, really can compete in their top five in steals per game. So they're definitely playing their tails off in a way that's keeping them in games and is showing up on the floor. Not to mention Jalen, this team leads the league in bench scoring. And I think when you talk about a team 
as young as the Dallas Wings. I mean, let's let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. They're one of the youngest teams in the league, and they are arguably one of the best teams in the league right now. And I think when you're talking about players like Alicia Gray, Taisha Harris, Isabel Harrison, Marina Mabry, those are four players coming off of a loaded bench that's giving you a lot of scoring. And then not to mention, Satu Sabale with 13.2 points per game, 6.1 rebounds a game. Marina Mabry with 14.8 points, like I mentioned, coming off the bench. This is amazing to see that you're getting consistency from multiple different players. You want to mm-hmm. talk about a team that has a lot of depth. The Dallas Wings have a lot of depth. And not to mention when we talk about the top rebounders, Satu Sabale, Isabel Harrison, all of them with almost six rebounds a game. And that's one of the reasons why Dallas has been a great rebounding team. The team is averaging 37.9 rebounds a game. Now, I think the question is, how do they compete against some of the top teams? Do they do they keep the matchups very close like they have been earlier in the season against teams like Seattle? Because now they're facing Chicago twice. That's, this is where the real test is coming, considering that Chicago has only lost one game with Candace Parker on the floor. So how do you how do you combat that? How do you combat the consistency right now of the Chicago Sky? Because this team in Chicago is a title contender. So if you're the Dallas Wings, I see them as the wild card in this in the WNBA. This team could shock a lot of people, but also this team is very young. How do you combat that sort of lack of experience, I guess? against teams like Chicago that have a lot of experience. Candace Parker's been in the league since 2008. She's a former MVP. Courtney Vandersloot is one of the top facilitators in the WNBA. Allie Quigley, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I think that's going to be tough. Well, I think I mean to combat that, and you know I'm going to go to bat for this team, so that's one of those things where, you know, I'm obviously going to, you know, give my own pushbacks. But I think Arike is the truth at that guard position where I think she can compete with a player like Courtney Vandersloot because for every facilitating basket that Courtney leads to, Arika Agumbawale, like I said, top five in scoring right now, she'll go give that basket to you, <laughs> give that basket right back to you on your own. You talk about the circumstances with their three-point shooting. Well, Marina Mabry is no slouch either, as I mentioned earlier. And then we discussed this, I think, on our Looking at the Landscape episode, actually. Satu Sabali went went blow for blow with Candace Parker in that matchup with Chicago. Granted, I think they came out on – I think Candace Parker uh, and the Chicago Sky came out on top in that game, but – Satu was right there, bet blow for blow with uh, Candace in that game. And I think that's huge because if they can play about even on those three slots between those three top players, you go down the line. And again, you mentioned it earlier about their bench production. Dallas has been getting a lot of production from bench scorers. If you look at players across the board, competitors, Mariah Jefferson has played relatively well, not averaging anything crazy in terms of the box score, but a player who competes hard for them. Like I said before, Alicia Gray, Isabel Harrison, Kayla Thornton, they're all players that are giving them very, very good, solid production in um in their uh in their minutes on the floor. So I think if they can go blow for blow with some of the better teams with their trifecta and Agumba Wale, Mabry, and Sabali, then I think they have a fleshed out roster that can hang with some of these other teams. But I think at the end of the day, something else that you mentioned that's huge is just their youth. I mean, just the three players I named, none of them are even twenty five years old yet. None of them. 
So I think that just goes to tell you that, yeah, there is a certain level of maturity that still needs to be established. Satu's a second year player who just made an all-star team. But at the end of the day, now you're going to be labeled as an all-star that has to play to an all-star caliber level. And I don't think that she's I don't think she's a player that won't be able to live up to that. I think she's somebody who can play up to that title. I think she can do it on a night in, night out basis. But how she does against those top teams is going to have even more weight now with the kind of title of being labeled an all-star so i think uh, you may put that next to gumba wally too who i think is in the discussion for an all-star vote if she hasn't already been selected for the team i think that that's another thing that's really important to keep an eye out on is i would argue they have about two all-stars on this team along with a potential most improved player of the year winner so i mean Look at their rosters along the line. Age and experience is going to hurt them more than anything. But if they can play above what their age is and you look at just their production on the floor, I think we're going to be talking about Dallas in the mix for a very long time. Not even just looking beyond this season, but just this year alone, I think they can be, make a significantly deep run if they play up to their talent. And I think that's going to be the big thing, like you mentioned. I think that this team really has a chance to to live up to expectations that really weren't set for them. This was mm-hmm. a team that I had going in as a borderline playoff team, considering mm-hmm. that this team has a lot of young players on it. Arike Gumbual has been great for them this season. It was pretty much coming down to how all the young players were going to gel and then just waiting for players like Satu Sabali and Alicia Gray to get back and get reacclimated to this team. But Jalen, this team has become one of the best teams in the WNBA, despite their record. So I think there's that they're definitely going to be a wild card in this season, possibly in the playoffs. This is going to be a very interesting team to watch down the road. But I want to talk about these last four teams as a group because, Jalen, I don't know about you, but these last four teams that we're going to talk about, the Chicago Sky, the Connecticut Sun, Seattle Storm, and the Las Vegas Aces, I would say these four are definite title contenders. And I think now that we we see all these teams fully healthy, we get a chance to really evaluate how they've done this season. So Jalen, let's kind of group these four teams together and let's talk about let's talk about the possibility of each team making the championship with the team that they have right now fully healthy. Let's start with Chicago. Fully healthy. Does this team win a championship? I mean, this team should be argued. I mean, this is a team that we could have argued in the top three, top two, top one. Like when we did this power ranking, this is where the top four is where I think the names are going to remain consistent for a good portion of the year outside of any potential injuries that occur. Or maybe if the U.S. Olympic teams end up making a significant impact on the WNBA season, which is a which is a huge possibility because a lot of the stars are going to be playing for those for that team. But Outside of that factor, Chicago is one of those teams that right now with Candace Parker, like you said earlier, you mentioned it earlier on, 7-1 and one with Candace Parker on the floor. They're second in opponent's points per game. They're first overall in defensive rating. They're not the craziest offensive team, but they have some of the some of the craziest offensive talent. Kalia Cooper has been a player who's played really well for them. Diamond DeShields as another player that's been really good at the at the guard forward position. And we know what Courtney Vandersloot means to this team as a player who far and away leads this team and assists with 8.7. Candace Parker is the next closest with 3.6. 
Speaking of the devil, Candace Parker with 12, 12 points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game on top of that 3.6. And she's, she's the only one averaging a block per game on this team. Allie Quigley's giving you double digits. Uh, a student of Nidhauer is giving you 9.1 points per game and 6.8 rebounds per game. Like this team. It's just so strong defensively. They're so active. Kalia Copper on the outside is one of those top-level active hand perimeter players that just is so um, influential on this team's defense. Courtney Vandersloot leads the team in steals with 2.1 steals per game. Their backcourt is just elite at playing passing lanes. Um, And I think that's huge because I think that for a team that has so much offensive talent, if you talk about their their overall production, I think the fact that they give you that much effort and then some on the defensive end makes them an even more dangerous team. So, I mean, this is a team that you could argue if we if, if Vegas wasn't playing so well, if Seattle didn't have the kind of the, the kind of names and star power that they had and Connecticut didn't have literally maybe two players who could viably, you know, compete for the MVP award this year. I think Chicago would be right there in the mix if, if if we wanted to talk about them being a number one team in this power ranking. And maybe down the line, they might end up as such. I think it's interesting, too, considering that Chicago, like I've mentioned on this podcast a couple times, defensively, this team without this team with and without Candace Parker is like night and day. And if we talk about defensively, that's where the impact is really felt, considering that Candace Parker is the reigning defensive player of the year. She's the only player on the team averaging a block a game, and she's really the defensive anchor for this team. She's sort of what makes this team's defense go. When you talk about Kalia Copper and how great of a defender she's become, she's really progressed throughout the entire season to become a pretty solid defender. I think when you're talking about other players on this team, like Diamond the Shields, I think when you're talking about a player like her, she's somebody that stepped up on the defensive side to give Candace Parker help when she's being attacked on the when she's being attacked in the low post. I think that's going to be really something going forward that if you're a defensively sound team, you have a pretty good chance to be at least a championship contender. And I think that's really what's going to happen with Candace Parker being healthy. And keep in mind this team was struggling without her. This team had only won one game without her. So getting her back is a huge boost to a team that really needed one as they're trying to kind of separate themselves from this pack of teams that are hovering around 500. But let's talk about this next team, the Connecticut Sun, who we mentioned earlier. Two players that are, have been really phenomenal for them, Dewana Bonner and John Paul Jones, who just came back from her time at a Eurobasket. The Connecticut Sun are two and three without her. I mentioned that this team really has a chance to, to be a championship contender, and I even made them a championship finalist in my prediction for the WNBA finals between them and the, and the New York Liberty. Jalen, is this team a title contender? I think out of your prediction, bro, Connecticut might be better suited to actually make that than make that prediction look right. I think Connecticut will hold up there in New York is the question. Um, I think the biggest thing is Connecticut, similar to Chicago, I can say the same thing about them in terms of being arguably the best team in the WNBA. They had one of the hottest starts in the league. They're first in the Eastern Conference with a record of 11-5. and five. They're the slowest-paced team in the WNBA, but that's because they got two of the biggest playing forward slash centers 
in the league, and they are playing out of their mind, but they're the most balanced team in the WNBA as well. Third in offensive rating, third in defensive rating. They are right there with the top two teams in terms of Vegas and Seattle, in terms of being able to give it to you on both sides of the floor. They're the best team in terms of opponents' points per game, holding po- uh, opponents to just just over 74 points per game. Like you said before, Dewana Bonner and Jonquil Jones are giving folks the business <laughs> down low. Um, I think the fact that Brianna Jones was playing at such a high level while John Quill Jones was out, I think that's another thing that should really be praised. And I think that now the the, the big thing I want to keep an eye out on is the um the dynamic of pretty much Brianne Janu um Brianne ja- January and Natisha Heidemann. Those two have kind of played below the belt. Uh Natisha Heidemann was somebody that I was looking forward to like kind of having a breakout season after the way she kind of started the year, especially with the fact that she's one of those players for this team that's really good in the three-point shooting department. She's shooting 35.1% from beyond the arc on 4.6 attempts per game. That is literally identical to Dewana Bonner right now. So I just I just really want to see how that dynamic uh rears its head later on in the season and see what kind of impact that has, see if she can get some more minutes. And if it's not about her getting more minutes in the starting lineup, then shoot, I just want to see how productive she can be as a potential sixth woman of the year candidate because I think that she has the potential to be that, especially playing on one of these top-level teams. It's just going to come down to being able to see how she can produce on the floor when given opportunities. I think that this team has really missed a player like John Quill Jones in the five game span that she was out. They were able to get two wins, but I think offensively, I think their consistency is just dropped. Now that she's back, John Quill Jones, I mean, she's averaging almost 22 points a game and 10 rebounds a game. I think with her consistent shooting and her rebounding abilities, I think that's something that was missed in the past five games. But mm-hmm. listen, I will give credit where credit is due. Dewana Bonner has been has stepped up big for this for this Connecticut Sun team. 17 points a game this season, seven rebounds, three and a half assists per game. She had 25 and 23 points in the last two Connecticut Sun wins. And then when you talk about Brianna Jones, same thing. I mean, this is somebody that dropped back-to-back 20-point games in their last couple of wins. So I think when you're a team like Connecticut getting somebody back like John Quill Jones, this is the perfect time considering that you need you need to kind of separate yourself from this pack that's the, from the over the over under 500 pack as i call it and i think when you're a team like Connecticut that was struggling without your top player but but still kind of holding it down with players like Dewana Bonner and Natisha Heideman and Brianne January holding their own also Brianna Jones as well holding her own, her own now we got now we get to see how great this team is at full strength, something that we were able to see before John Quill Jones departed for Eurobasket. Next mm-hmm. team we're going to talk about, the Seattle Storm, the defending WNBA champions. Here's the thing, Jalen. I think it's interesting that we talk about the Seattle Storm because this was a team that lost recently a very close game to the Las Vegas Aces on a, a nice basket from Chelsea Gray to close out the game. Jalen, does this team compete with a team like Las Vegas, especially with how good Las Vegas has become? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, I mean, yeah, obviously, I think from a talent standpoint, they have all the personnel that's there. They're first in the Western Conference, second in points per game with 88 points per game, holding opponents to 80.6 points per game. That's fourth in the league. They're second in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating. 
Um, when you look at a player like uh, Brianna Stewart, she's second in scoring in the entire WNBA. I think she's either second or third in the entire WNBA in terms of scoring, averaging a double-double, two with 10.1 rebounds, nearly two blocks a game, 1.1 steals. The overall complete player that is the WNBA's KD. Like, you just can't sleep on a team that has that kind of player. Um I think you also look at the production of players like Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird have played relatively well. I think that the biggest thing that kind of hits them is the fact that their depth doesn't get too great after that. Mercedes Russell, 6.6 points per game. Katie Lou Samuelson, 6.4 points per game. Um, a player who hasn't really played a ton for them either. Jordan Canada kind of slowing down 5.1 points per game, 2.8 assists per game, which is relatively okay, but, uh, that point total from the backcourt is kind of looking a little light once you get past Jewel Lloyd and Sue Bird. So I think the biggest thing that hurts them that gives the favor to Las Vegas outside of their most recent matchup, I think it's just the fact that when you look at Vegas, they just look deeper. They just look deeper as a team. The re- the the return of some of their injured players that they missed out on last season is really starting to show um signs that they could be a legit title contender if not hoist up the championship trophy uh, at the end of the season because Las Vegas's depth is just showing from top to bottom in every single position um that doesn't make it where Seattle can't be competitive I mean they lost off of a basically a walk-off jumper to lose that game and they only lost by three so despite the talent disparity being a little bit lopsided in Vegas's favor Seattle was right there with them, and that has a lot to do with the fact that Stuart Lloyd and Bird are so legit at their positions. But I think at the end of the day, I think the depth of Vegas is going to be what really stands out. But I guess also in retort to that, the question is, is Brianna Stewart still the best player out of those two teams? which I think is highly debatable, despite the fact that Aja Wilson is just now on the come up. And, you know, you look at the rest of the, uh, you look at the rest of the roster between Vegas, rosters between Vegas and Seattle, and you could argue that anybody could take that top spot between both teams as the best player in the WNBA between those two. It's interesting also considering that when you look at the, the front court matchup between these two teams, I think the big positional hole for Seattle has been at center ever since Natasha Howard left. Great and Mercedes Russell has been playing as has been playing pretty well and she's holding her own down low, but I'm not sure she's she's going to be able to compete with somebody like Liz Cambridge at the level that she's playing at right now. And I think when we talk about the backcourt, I remember making this point a couple weeks ago and I kind of want to reiterate it. How many times are we going to see Seattle put ninety points and win? Because we saw that with Atlanta, and mm-hmm. Atlanta did it for so long, but there was a point in time where it didn't work, and they lost to the Mystics by three points in that close game we talked about last week. But this time around, is it going to end for the Seattle Storm? Because I know they, they rely so heavily on their offense that they can just score 90 points and win, and they can pretty much just trust that their defense can hold it down or that their opponents miss shots. But I think that's going to be the interesting thing if I put these two teams in a three-game series. Is Seattle's offense going to hold their own while pretty much relying on their defense to make sure that the opponents have missed shots? I think that's really going to be the the interesting thing going forward, considering that the Aces now hold the series lead 2-1. to one. 
it almost looked like the first game was just a far cry of what this Aces team would become. And just looking at this, the Las Vegas Aces, just to close out this episode, Jalen, I don't think there's any question about this one. Is, is this team a title contender? Hey, man, it's locked in, bro. At this point, it's, it ain't no arguing with that joint at this point, bro. You can't get past it. I mean, the Aces are the freaking truth. And, um, man, I can't wait to see this all-star game. The, 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 uh, the, uh, rosters have been dropped in terms of the USA women's team as well as the team WNBA squad. So that's going to be really interesting to see, uh, what happens at that all-star game in a couple of weeks. Uh, going to be a really interesting game, but I mean, come on, man. Liz Cambridge, obviously Aja Wilson. Yerika Hamby, like they, they they just got a squad, bro. There's no there's no if ands or buts about it. So I think that this team is literally the truth. Like I said beforehand, their depth is out of this world, and I think that's putting them in a really good position to go make a chance at the chip, go make a chase at the chip. They lead the league in scoring. They also lead the league in rebounds, or they're second in the league in rebounds, assists, and blocks. This team has a lot of talent. I think when we're talking about MVP caliber players, they have two two great MVP level players in Liz Cambridge and Aja Wilson. This team may look like the most unstoppable team right now. And like I mentioned in the last episode, I may have to change my finals prediction. This Las Vegas Aces team is for real. And transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you believe the Las Vegas Aces could win the WNBA championship this year? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.